I'm Dr. Nichelle here, and I had one vlog already and Instagram Live, and I'm here again to go over some more things as pregnancy changes for myself and then also other things that if you're currently pregnant, you can be thinking about and kind of brainstorming for yourself. So I wanted to start off with uh, birth location because that's actually something that has changed a lot for me in the past, I would say, 48 hours or so. Um, so I had decided to do a birth center again. I had had all three mother kiddos at birth centers in Colorado and had great experiences. In fact, my um, first midwife that caught Bowdoin caught my third kiddo, and that was really a great experience. And it's a nice happy in-between between a hospital birth and a home birth because some people don't want the hospital birth, but they're a little nervous to do a home birth. And it's this in-between spot, and it's, there's a ton of value to that. So I'd actually decided for a couple of reasons as to why I would do the birth center again. One is that I knew the whole group. I um, felt really loved by the community there. Um, I loved my experience that I had there with my third kiddo who was born there. And um, I had a desire for doing a home birth, but insurance and the cost and having three other kids, going to have four, it was one of those things I was like, do I do this? Do I not do this? I It just was um, a little bit of a tough decision because you don't want to say that money comes into play with things, but money comes into play with things sometimes. And um, it's something that with our chiropractic cash practice, I totally get that sometimes it's hard to want to come in and pay cash when you know insurance can cover it, even though you know that you're going to get a better service a lot of times with those cash practitioners. So the uh, cool thing for me is that I... I'm no longer in uh, the decision game here, really. I mean, I am. I get to decide. Um, but my birth center actually was just told that for financial reasons that they are being closed down and pretty abruptly. Um, so I'll actually be posting on my page ways that people can help uh, support that in terms of petitions and fundraising and next steps because birth centers are a really good option for people. So hospital are an option for some people and home births are, and it is a really, like I said, good in between for other populations. And so we want them to remain. We want more of them, in fact. And so I'll be posting more about that of how you can help them, but it won't be helping me in terms of being able to deliver there. But it did push me into what I consider really um, big God situation where, well, it's sad they're closing down. I'm actually getting what I was really curious about and desiring. Um, it was my last birth, which is doing a home birth. So I'm really excited, but things have changed a lot since um, maybe Saturday afternoon. So I was out in Dallas for a conference that I speak at. And then got news that it was closed or it was closing and that I would have one more appointment there and then they would not be able to serve patients anymore there. So uh, I met with a midwife this morning that I'm really excited with and am likely going to be signing on with really soon. And we'll be really looking into um, like what I can do in that that experience, like what I'll learn from my patients having a birth center birth versus a home birth, um, what the differences are. And doesn't mean the differences that one is better than the other, just differences, right? And so I'm excited for that. I'm excited to be able to be home during the whole process. And my third birth at um, Seasons, which is who is closing down right now, um, which I'm really, really sad for. Um, the whole staff and all the midwives, I just can't imagine how frustrating it must be and then how frustrating it is for all those new moms. So for me, this is like my fourth rodeo. So it's kind of like, meh, you know, like all, all, 
I'll survive. I'll be fine. It's more that I just feel really bad for other people. Um, but hopefully they can get going again and there's going to be a community supporting them. So birth location is a really big thing to decide where you want to deliver. And so some people will have health conditions where they are meant to be at a hospital. Other people won't, but they want the uh, beauty of having the midwives at a birth center who are going to have just a little bit different of perspective than those that are going to be at a hospital. And then you're going to have a different perspective of midwives who are at home. So the biggest thing that anyone can possibly do is to actually just do the research, see what it looks like to be at your hospital, really make sure you like your provider, make sure you're feeling heard, make sure that your choices are being respected, make sure that the provider is open to dialogue, because if they're not open to dialogue, that's not a provider that you want for your birth. You want to be able to come with what you're wanting as a patient and have discussions, not be told what you have to do. There should always be choices. And so that's something something to really navigate when you're looking at birth location is who is going to be helping you decide those choices? Is it going to be you and your partner and maybe a doula? Or is it going to be that your birth provider is telling you what you have to do? Um, and there's almost always a choice. There are absolutely emergencies that happen. And when you should be able to trust your provider that they are telling you, this is what we need to do. And this is why we should totally do it now. Um, but a lot of times there's things that are done out of convenience, or I truly think out of fear as well. So really researching into that one really great resource to helping you find a really optimal birth team and birth location for yourself is going to be having a doula. Like without a doubt, having a doula will help you navigate those questions, not dive you into what you have to do and say like, this is the only answer, but give you some feedback as to how to decide who you want on your birth team and where you want to deliver. And that's going to make a difference. Like asking what the um, induction rates are, asking what the cesarean rates are. Because if you're at a hospital that has a really high cesarean rate, you may want to reconsider which hospital you deliver at or which provider as well, or provider team, if you will. Um, now, who is on your team? You're likely going to have a midwife or an OB. And in our area, there's a lot of midwife options. And I always encourage people, especially when there's midwives at a hospital, of try and see if you can be with the midwives because you always have the OB as an option. Like they're an option for you. So um, that's something to consider is that you like when in doubt, aim to go with the midwives because they're just going to have a different perspective on care. Um, and who else do you want on your team? And this is where I wish everyone knew the beauty of a doula and the questions asked their doula, but having a doula on your team can be a really valuable resource. And I did not have one at my first birth and I did at my second too. And it's a really big difference to have somebody else there besides your midwife and your or your OB who can just be really supportive of you and give you some suggestions and really support you through pregnancy in just a different way than your other providers will through your birth and then after. Um, it's a really good resource and finding who's good in your area um, is going to be really important for you. Um, and then other things like what else, who else might you have on your birth team? Do you have a massage therapist? Do you have a chiropractor? Um, are you going to have a photographer at your birth? Are you going to have just photographer for maternity and newborn? But really looking into who are all those people that are going to be on your team and do they align with you? Are they things that you're wanting? And so for me, again, this pregnancy, it's my fourth. So, and I'm also in the birth world. So I feel pretty confident with decisions and finding out who matches and fits me. But that's something that if you're a new mom, this is your first pregnancy, you should absolutely be looking into things, reading books, asking questions of your community, finding a quality doula so they can help navigate all those other providers for you because somebody like that can help you find your chiropractor that's a really good prenatal chiropractor, help you find your massage therapist, acupuncturist, et cetera. 
Um, one thing that I love for my patients and that I absolutely do with all of my um, babies every single night is that baby connection. So really feeling that your lower belly, so right around like give or take 12 weeks, baby's going to start peaking above that pubic bone, or at least the uterus is, it's going to start getting higher and higher. Um, for this fourth pregnancy, I almost said third, um, I've been able to feel the baby since 14 weeks, um, smaller movements that have gotten a lot more pronounced, obviously, because I'm almost almost 19 weeks, which is crazy. And it is really amazing just to feel in that space even before they're moving and just take some deep breaths and feel where you feel that uterus is. And then as things go on and things change, you can use that time to massage your belly, whether you want to put in oils to help with the skin changes there, um, but work on the round ligaments and abdominal wall, which I have videos on things that I share on YouTube and Instagram and all the things about how I do it. I do it differently on my patients than I do it at home, but it's all like similar concept stuff, but I always teach them what I do at home as well. And I really want people to be connected because that's where you're feeling the baby movement, not just to um, have the counts ready for your provider and tell them that you felt the counts. Or um, it's also an opportunity for you to feel position yourself. If you're really in tune with that and you've been playing around with belly mapping and things, you can feel if that head is shifted or if those kicks are now in a different spot. And it's really just a beautiful way to, um, you don't even talk out loud, but just internally be thinking and talking about that baby and your intentions and, and all the things. Although my babies never tell me what gender they are, so I'm always I'm always wrong too. So I'm like, I have this great intuition connection. I feel that I'm like, I've been wrong every time, which is my own. It's just funny to me. Um, and that baby connection can be built by seeing other providers because you're going to get more in tune with your body when you go to acupuncture, massage, and you hear different things in chiropractic because you're going to hear things from your providers that are going to tell you about like, oh, this is what I'm feeling with your body. And that's one of the best things that you can do is just truly know what's going on in your body. And I think that pregnancy is actually the first time that many American women truly start becoming a little bit or have the opportunity to become more intuitive and know more about what's going on in their body. So I feel like it starts in, in my life, at least with starting to massage my belly every night at night with the intention of feeling where baby's at. If I'm at the stage where I'm feeling for movement and kicks, I'm doing that. And it's, it's a really beautiful kind of ritual to get into at night. That's also a time where I start practicing more of those deep breaths because as you can imagine with three kids that a lot of times you get a little, um, what would the way be like, you don't realize you're not breathing, I guess I should say. And I always joke with patients. I'm like, you kind of don't realize it because you're running here and there and you're, oh, I haven't taken a deep breath in a while. So it's kind of nice at night just to slow it down, connect with your baby, take some deep breaths, connect to your core if that's a time that feels right for you. Um, and then really just using that time to also meditate because something I talk about a lot is that people always think that birth is like a marathon and you just got to get through that marathon. And so in my area, I have a lot of fit women and the way it's viewed is like, you know, if I can do a CrossFit workout, I can do birth. If I can do a marathon, I can do birth. And I say, you're a mammal. So you absolutely can do birth. But I feel like working out in that mentality of like marathon running and CrossFit and this and that is a lot more of our masculine energy. And I feel like birth after going through it three other times is a lot more about the feminine energy and calming down and surrendering. And the more you can dive into like letting go that like this isn't going to go away, you you have to learn how to um, accept and and lean into it. 
And that's when you're going to do your best. Um, so I teach people more about that, like diving into their feminine energy and not just thinking about, you know, I can do like a marathon or cross a workout. I've got this. Um, and that is where at night meditation, I personally like there's a hypnobirthing book on, um, like iBooks or iTunes or whatnot. And it's by this gal, Catherine Clark. And it's a book that's very similar to other hypnobirthing books. But then there's some meditations. And I bought a whole separate meditation CD. And I listened to it with my second, a little bit of my third. Sometimes randomly pops on, I'm like Bluetooth or whatever in my car. And I'm like, this is a weird vibe right now. Uh, but it's a really great way for me to slow down, connect, visualize my birth. And there's so much to be said about visualizations. And I really feel like the way I've visualized my past few births have really helped in like the fruition of what I wanted to happen in them happening. So it's a really good time at night when you're massaging your belly and you're feeling baby movements to really be thinking about what you want your birth to be looking like. So you've thought about where you want to be birthing and where you're going to feel most comfortable and most supported. And you've thought about your birth team and set them up to be most supported. And now you're mentally preparing um, your body for what it's going to go through. And I say your body because it's not just mentally preparing your brain. It's like your brain and its connection to your body. And then there's that physical um, component of things that we need to work on. And so for me, fitness has always been a huge part of my life. And I'll say that with this pregnancy, the first trimester was just really hard for me to get into a groove because I'm already out of a groove because we had just moved. And now I'm sitting here like, when do I get back into fitness? So then once I was starting to feel better, I was like, I just got to move. And so my movement does not look the same now as it once did. My movement used to look like five to six days a week, the ton of strength training, maybe crossfit workouts, things like that. And now it's, it's looking more like I'm going on walks and I'm doing like four rounds of like glute bridges and squats and modified pushups and presses or things like that. And just moving my body. And I honestly feel way better doing it this way. Um, I used to be so caught up in just like grinded out fitness. And um, there is value though to preparing your body. And there's a lot of things I could talk about that I'm not going to talk about here because it's really a long talk to talk about how to prepare your body. But pregnancy fitness is valuable. It is shown to have so many glorious and beautiful um, benefits, but I think too much is unhelpful and then too little is unhelpful. So it's finding in between. And I do like to also remind people that walking counts, <laughs> walking counts. I do also want you to include something for your glutes, just so like squats or good mornings, things like that. Um, but walking counts as, as movement, even if you feel like it's way less than what you were doing before. Um, a, lot, a couple of few things I want to talk about is like, this is definitely a time like halfway through pregnancy. If you hit this spot is that you're starting to think about names and then have you found out gender? Are you going to keep it a surprise? And those are very different things to go through. So we have kept our gender a surprise. We're going to keep it a surprise for this baby. We've done it for the past two and we didn't for the first. And I'll tell you, it is a very different experience. So it's not the same surprise at the 20 week as it is at the end when you've gone through all the work and the baby's on you and then you figure out what they are. It's just not the same. And there's just so many other thoughts that you have through pregnancy um, when you don't know. So I'm excited to uh, see what we're going to have for this uh fourth baby. Um, Laomi's really hoping for a sister. So she keeps whispering to the baby, like, I hope you're a sister. And does the baby have legs? I'm like, well, the last little just sounded tit. So <laughs> yeah, pretty sure it does. Um, so finding out names or figuring out names is always tough when you don't know the gender like we don't, because you have to figure out like a couple of each gender that you really like, because it's hard to just name your kid, like one thing, but like, this is what their name is. Um, I like to have a couple for each name. 
or each gender, I should say. Uh, and then we like different names. So I'm always on the hunt for like a really rare name. Our kids are Bowden, Laomi, and Tage. So it's one of those things that I, I do wish my baby was close to due date was close to April Fool's because I would totally just then go with the name like Matt or something. And be like, what? Why did that kid not get a cool name? Uh, sorry if your name's Matt because it's not that it's not a cool name. It's just not different like our kiddos are and unique. Um, okay. So ultrasound, um, 20 week ultrasound is something that the anatomy nerd of me, like just totally nerds out on that. Um, we're not gonna find out the gender. So they'll tell us to look away at a certain points. Um, but it's super fun to do the 20 week ultrasound because you realize how much of the baby really is there. You see every part of their brain, you see every chamber of their heart, every part of their spine is developed. Like everything is there. It just needs to get bigger and more developed. And it just blows your mind because realistically, even two weeks after that 20 week ultrasound, which is the one that most people will have for the anatomy, the anatomy check, it, two weeks after that, like babies can survive. I think their earliest is uh, 22 and a half weeks. And that's just amazing. So it's one of those things like once you hit that point, you're like, wow, this is like, this is a human. This like there it's a human from the beginning, but it's it's a human that could survive. It would need help, obviously, but it's just really just phenomenal. Um so a couple of the things I wanted to talk about more specifically with mine and my pregnancy is that my constipation I talked about in the initial video is gone. One thing that I have been doing is I have been able to move more. Um I've been getting adjusted by my chiropractor, aka my husband a lot more frequent. But one of the things I think helps the most is actually a suggestion from Alyssa McGaith, um, who is a doula now in uh, Florida, not out here in Colorado. And she has suggested a few things with teas, but I'm not going to lie, I really suck drinking teas. I just don't like tea that much, which is really annoying. I feel bad saying out loud because it's like kind of embarrassing, but I just like it's not my thing. And like, I want it to be, but it's just not. Um, and I always go on a kick where I'm going to try it for two weeks straight. And I'm like, yeah, like I'll do it. I can do it. It's just like, it's hard to like make it a thing. So anyways, she suggested a few different tea options, but she also said like eating raisins scattered throughout the day. And I've been doing that and I've had amazing bowel movements. So no constipation here, which is great. Um, nausea is completely gone. This pregnancy nausea ended around 11 weeks and usually it lasts 18 for me. So I don't know what the difference is, but it's been really awesome. I've had a few days here and there, which haven't felt great. But other than that, I'm like, this is crazy. I can like eat whatever food I want right now. I can eat all the healthy things, which a lot of times it's like, I can't eat salads or veggies or anything like that. And I definitely have foods that I'm like, kind of like, Ooh, I kind of don't usually eat sandwiches, but I'm like, I kind of want a sandwich right now or French fries or something. Um, but I can eat all of the really good stuff too now, which feels really good when you are like somebody who loves to really focus on what you're taking in and nutrients you're taking, and then you don't want to eat anything good. It's kind of rough feeling. Um, the symptom that has been the worst that has been remaining, I'd say is truly actually only my only, I'd say big complaint right now is that I've had congestion, which I've made a couple posts about. I made it, I mentioned it before. And it's not like, like when you have a cold and stuff's down here and maybe I've never had a sinus infection. So maybe it's more of that feeling, but it's up high. And then I can't breathe at all. And I had this little coughing attack last week where I like choked on a little piece of apple, but I couldn't breathe through my nose. So you'd think when you're coughing here, you can at least get air in there, but like I couldn't, but I was coughing. So I couldn't breathe in there. I was going to make it worse. So I was like in the, I like ran to the bathroom. I was like, <laughs> like making this like scene in the bathroom is like a single bathroom, thankfully. Um, but because I couldn't breathe up here and I was like, that was scary. Like I literally felt like I was going to like, I don't want to say like choke, but like I, I couldn't breathe and then sleep at night has been terrible. So 
I tried a lot of different things with uh, essential oils and a neti pot and like breathe right strips and these like nasal dilator things. And all of it worked just a little bit, but didn't work a ton. And I'd had some suggestions to try something like Afrin. And I'm really somebody who does not take medication because it just, I don't know, I it's just not my thing. I want to try the natural route as much as I can. But then I was speaking at a conference and I was like, I don't want to be like, and like, just like sound all crazy and cough and stuff like that. So I was like, I want to see if there's something that'll work. So I'm going to try this Afrin. So I tried it one night beforehand. I was not going to do it, like try it like the day of the conference. And I didn't realize how bad my breathing was. I was so congested up in here. It was terrible. And the Afrin cleared up. It was like the first time in three months that I felt like I could actually breathe and it felt so good. So it's interesting because I'm conflicted about it because I've read you're only supposed to do it for three days in a row. You don't want to get addicted to it because a lot of people just get so used to it that they become addicted to it. I've heard people say, I just use the rest of my pregnancy. So I feel conflicted because I can breathe. I can sleep well, like an actual good sleep. And if I don't, then I like wake up at like three with like a coffin, cotton mouth and like feel like I'm almost choking when I get up. So it's one of those things I'm like, do I take it? Do I not? So for right now, um, I've taken it a couple of times since the conference um, so I can breathe and it feels really good. But I'd say that's like the number one uh, complaint that I've had. And it's really interesting because as a provider in the birth space, it's really interesting Um because before someone had told me they had pregnancy congestion, I would have said like, oh, I mean, my thought would have been like, oh, that's a bummer. Like, here's a few things you can try. Why don't you try the neti pot? Why don't you try like these nasal strips? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like the only thing that's working for me is like a medication, which um, I'm trying not to be stubborn and not like not taking any. Uh, but it's also those things that's like, but it's helping quite a bit. So um, I'm going to try not to overdo it, but it's something that's helping the congestion quite a bit and been recommended from a few of my patients to me, actually. Um, I think that's all other than the things that I'm being really intentional about eating is that every day I'm eating because I'm not allergic to them and they're very nutrient dense for pregnancy. Um, I'm eating basically scrambled eggs every morning with some veggies and some meat in them. Um, my lovely husband makes them for me every morning. It's so amazing. Um, for snacks, I usually have like a muffin that I've made. I usually make muffins without added sugar, just with like a fruit. And I'll add in like flaxseed meal into it and sometimes raisins into it and sometimes extra collagen. Um, and so sometimes that's a snack in the kind of middle-ish day along with some nuts. And sometimes I'll have carrots. Sometimes I'll have a banana or apples. Um, and then at lunchtime, it kind of goes back and forth. Some days I do a salad. Um, and then other days I'm doing, um, like kind of leftover soup from the week. So a lot of the soups we make are like white chicken, chili, chicken enchilada, regular chili. That's all I can think of right now at the top of my head. <laughs> it's like late at night. Um, but I've been trying to do those because I put bone broth in those and then it not only is dinner and then like a second dinner usually, but then it ends up being two lunches. So that's a lunch that I commonly um, will bring with me that's packed with a lot of veggies. It's always packed with a lot of veggies, bone broth as its base, and then um, a meat in there usually as well. And then the things that we really are paying attention to when we are getting our foods and that it's not always something that everybody can pay attention to is that it's um, food from a farm. So basically grass-fed, organic um properties to it, looking into when we get dairy, that it's organic when possible raw. So if there's raw cheeses, sometimes they're really, really expensive. And when you're feeding like a family of five and we'll be a family of six, it's like, well, can't really get the raw right now. I'll get the organic or something like that, depending on the quantity that you're getting. 
Um, our eggs are not entirely, but mostly from our own little farmette. And then we have some that we'll get from a local farm when we are not getting enough from our birds. Um, but you can't get much more local than that, your own backyard and the birds that you're feeding with your scraps. So that's been nice. And then we make our own bone broth that I was mentioning that we put into things. So those are kind of like the big things um, to be aware of is the quality of meat you're eating, quality of eggs. Um, those are going to be great options to have, great nutrients in them. Um, I've been doing raw beef liver that's been frozen for weeks at a time as like a supplement. So like a, I'm adding that, like I'm swallowing it in the morning, I'm not cooking with it. Um, and then the other thing is eating uh, fruits and veggies that are, are organic to reduce the amount of pesticides, toxins that are on those plants. And then one thing that's going to be a new thing for me, which is something that we learned about at a conference by um, a doctor named Dr. Chutkin, who has a bunch of books and all about the microbiota, is that one of the best things that we can do for a microbiota, other than limiting medications as much as we possibly can, really only doing antibiotics when we, when we have to, is eating 30 plants a day and eating dirty foods and being in the soil, which I'm like, we don't have any issue with that because we are the property we've gotten. But to get the carrots that don't look perfect, the ones that look just like legs splaying out and have dirt on them. It doesn't mean you can't like wipe some of the dirt off, but just like have the have the microbes that we are supposed to be having that we've just wiped away decreasing any use of sanitizers um, are going to be big ones. But the 30 plants a day, I thought was really fascinating that I'm going to be really working towards, which it counts as like if you put a coconut on it and then you have garbanzo beans and then you have pistachios on your food and then cucumbers and then tomatoes and then you have spinach and then arugula and then you had potatoes in your... Uh, um, uh, in your eggs. And then you just start adding up, okay, then add a cashew, then add an almond. And so trying to get 30 in a day when possible. So that's gonna be a tough challenge. Um, not impossible, but really paying attention to like, okay, what variety am I having? Um, that that's really the best way to build the microbiota. And we do know that connection of mom's own gut health and her microbiome to also then what her babies will be. And so then you look at how you're living your life is also then how your kids are going to live their life. And so that's going to be a really big impact. And then that other big aspect of getting a really flourishing microbiota for not only my, like for myself, but just more for me to pass it along is not only me having a good gut microbiome and working on that prior to pregnancy, but during pregnancy is breastfeeding is going to be one of the best things we can do and doing everything we can to try to have a vaginal birth, which it won't always happen. There are so many circumstances as to why it, it cannot happen for some people, but that is something we want to work towards. And if it's something that can happen, looking into things like vaginal seeding, really doing everything we can to get that baby some breast milk, at least in the first six months, even if it means pumping or getting donor milk um, from somebody in the community who will donate um, because it can get pretty pricey. Um, and then really like tuning into, you know, even if your baby is born because with antibiotics from GBS or uh, cesarean born, I like to call it a belly birth, is it's like, can we at least stitch having all the hand sanitizers and being worried that they've like put their mouth on something like they're going to do it. We have the healthiest kids. They put their mouths on everything. They haven't gotten sick from putting their tongue on something like the floor, which is weird and you don't want to go there, but kids just do that stuff anyways. But, um, <clears throat> That type of stuff is going to build your microbiome. We know gut health is actually very deeply related to the immune system. What your gut health um, health is will be what your immune system is. What your gut health is will be what your mental health is. So it's really important to be working on everything we possibly can to create a healthy microbiota for ourselves and to hopefully prevent as much as we can damaging it. Um, one other last thing, because I learned at a conference and it's worth noting, 
is that PPIs, which can be a really common thing people want to take during pregnancy. Um, so a proton pump inhibitor are basically something people take to reduce heartburn. Um, actually shown with uh, chronic use is just as bad for a microbiota of our gut as antibiotics are. So I think that's really important to know. And that's not even that we've even studied all the medication, the less medication that we have to take is going to be the better. Now, it's not to say get off a of medication right now if it's something you actually truly need, but it's really us diving into fixing some of the other problems if possible, depending on the person's health and what the condition is. Um, but that medication and doing things like Tums is not going to be helpful for our gut. We need to find out some better, more natural options for those cases. So the more we're learning, um, it's one of those things that once you know better, once you know more, do better. So that's something that it's uh, good to learn these things at conferences to bring it back home because so much of what this woman was talking about, this doctor about the microbiota was just so much about what we can be doing in pregnancy, our actions for preparing for birth, our actions for what we do after birth, and thus thereafter with our kiddos can determine what their health is, what their um, predisposition is to eczema allergies autoimmune, things like that, um, and even the frequency of them getting sick. So um, this is kind of a, a mesh of pregnancy information as it comes along to my head, as it's in the stage that I'm in. So I'll mention things that I'm going through, but I'll pop back on uh, next week when I have my 20-week ultrasound to kind of talk about that experience and the role that your kids can play if they're there, if you have other kids and the role your partner can play and questions to ask during the ultrasound as well. So I'll mention that in the next blog. All right, bye you guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you.